podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and I'm joined once again by JP Mason uh, to talk about all things Celtic. But the first thing I noticed, JP, welcome back, is that cracking now retro away jersey over your right shoulder. It's there for a reason. Talk to us about that season and your memories of that season. Well, I have to be honest with you straight off the bat that that isn't the original top that I had that I bought as a then 19-year-old sprightly Celtic supporter. Um, I had a long-sleeve version of that top. And when I was studying in France uh, in in Nice in the year 2000, I obviously had many Celtic tops with me. And uh, that was the Barnes season. I went to Nice to live a couple of weeks before the Inverness Cali game. And uh, I became friends with a German guy uh, called Damien in my class, and he was a massive Borussia Dortmund fan. And, and uh, when I was leaving in uh, Nice in the June of that year, I gave him my long-sleeved Celtic away top as a gift. So, and I did receive a really cool uh, Borussia Dortmund scarf and patch and supporter songs tape in the post as a brilliant. Yeah, yeah, really, really nice of him. And uh, you know, you know what German people are like—they kind of they're very kind of I don't know efficient, you know. Like, and when it comes to you know, it didn't just send me something wee and random back. It was like a full Borussia Dortmund package uh, that I got. So, but yeah, I managed to get a hold of that top maybe about, I don't know, I think someone gave me it maybe about 10 years ago, someone from my old supporters club. And yeah, it was my first season as a season ticket holder. 
Um, I'd been on the waiting list in the season of uh, 97, 98. So I'd just been getting tickets as and when I could at that point and then finally got a season ticket of my own, which I have right here. You're going to have to flick through that. Shows the old style, man. Shows yeah. the old style season ticket. So, it's like a ra- it was like a raffle ticket book, wasn't it? Yeah, so basically for all you, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, for all you young ones out there, you used to have to send your uh, voucher away. The, each, each voucher applied to a game. And then if you wanted to get a ticket for an away game or a European game, uh, then you you, uh, <laughs> you had to send your voucher away. Or you applied either through your club, supporters club as a group, or you applied individually. Um, but yeah, so the, 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 the Vengos season... I love Dr. Joe. I know that he wasn't the most successful manager we've ever had. And, you know, I think you and Laura touched upon it last night, how just how he carried himself. And, and that, that's true. He kind of reminded me a bit of my granddad because he was obviously uh, uh, Czech. And uh, I'm, I hope I've got that right here. Czechoslovakian, right? Well, I was reading this thing that uh, Jock Brown had said, you know, that famous headline, blank Czech. Um, and he says, oh, they didn't even get the head the headline right because he wasn't Czechoslovakian. So just while you're telling that story, I'm going to check myself, yeah, pardon, well, pardon the pun. Well, my grandfather was Polish, so they had a similar uh, way of delivering English, uh, you know, in sort of broken broken sentences, broken sort of words, um, maybe not completely all joined together at the time, like special qualities. Players, movements, passing, um, you know, things like that. And that, that was just like my granddad. So I immediately had an affection towards him because of that. And and then obviously, you know, he signed Lubomir Moravchik. And I'll, I'll never forget that I came home from wherever I was and I checked Teletext and it said Celtic signed £300,000 Lubomir Moravchik from, uh, I think it was Duisburg. Um, and, you know, it's like 33 years old, you know, but then you're thinking, a guy must be all right, but then your immediate thoughts are to go back to like you know your sort of Wayne Biggins days, and you know, oh well, we're just signing another guy that's past his prime, and then of course that would be my first. Well, my first Rangers game at Ibrox was with Doctor Joe. It was a nil nil. Do you remember uh, Larson hit the crossbar? Johnny mm-hmm. was in goal, and me and my friend, me and my friend Michael and, and John Smith were on the TV that day on Sky Sports because the camera went to the Celtic end. And zoomed in right on us, and we were standing on our seat with a tricolor um, singing. And uh, when I <laughs> that there was an early kickoff that day, when I went back to the pub that I was working in that night for a shift, all the guys in the pub were all Rangers fans. And I walked in, and they were all like, "You, we seen you." And I was like, "What?" And they were like, "Yeah, we seen you on the TV. You're on, you're on Sky Sports." And I was like. Oh dear, well, have you seen you standing on your chair? And I was like, oh no. <laughs> uh, so that was my first appearance on Sky Sports. And uh, and then, yeah, 5 1 game, like Lubo standing there, bemused at having scored two goals. And uh, and then Burchill coming on and scoring. And I knew Mark Burchill from a school camp that I went on when I was in primary seven. So seeing a guy score for Celtic that you actually know and have, you know, you know have met as a, as a wee guy was amazing. And I'll go back to see if you remember the seven-one game at Motherwell that season mm-hmm. when Larson scored four. Right, I, I was there that that night, uh, and for the last twenty minutes of that game, I've still got the whole game on tape, taped off the TV. The last twenty minutes of that game, the whole Celtic end sang "Cheerio" to ten in a row, solid. Tw- twenty minutes, solid. There was no break. It just was like 
It's, it, yeah, just as you thought it was finishing, it started up again and it went for 20 minutes and it was uh, what a buzz. And then one bit. Lubo Maracic got injured that night and carried off on a stretcher. And a lot of people I've read saying that, that that was probably the end of our title challenge that night when Lubo got taken off. And uh, I wouldn't argue with that, to be fair. And I think, you know, it just shows you how key things like Julian getting injured against uh, Dundee United. Could that be a similar moment that derailed, not derailed further our season this season, but, you know, it's perhaps and maybes. No, but you know when you brought that up and you have the time after the event, after speaking to JP, to really consider that and think about the impact of this mini-revival that we had kind of gone on during that period and then Julien's injury obviously derailed it again uh, in, in many, many respects. But no, I think it was a great point you made. That season in itself it is all about specific moments that stick in your mind about uh, all of these periods of Celtic history. I mean, I think what Jock Brown was referring to was although uh, Joseph Wenglos was born in Czechoslovakia by the time it comes to Celtic um, the, the region he was born in was now part of Slovakia, I think that's Jock Brown with his uh, lawyer's head on uh, looking at facts but um, yeah, I, we, we spoke the other day there about the disrespect really that was being shown to people coming into our game, we've seen it with uh, Vim Janssen we've seen it with Joe Wenglos and uh, of course Lubo himself but just looking at that jersey um, I remember all, all the Celtic jerseys through my lifetime because that particular jersey at the time I wasn't a massive fan of it I really wasn't a massive fan of that away jersey and it's one of the ones now that when I look back on it and obviously having done the research for the Celtic jersey book shameless plug out later this year um, I started to really take a shine to this, this shirt and I think the reason I didn't like it is I love the Celtic crest to be full colour, so green, white, black, mm. and this is going to that um, that style whereby it was integral to the design, so it was black and lime green, and that that became the norm for a long time, still is with a lot of clubs, but I prefer the full colour Celtic crest. But in, fa- in actual fact, I can't see it from here, JP, but... The, there's a shading in the black and it's a Celtic crest and it's yeah. kind of half under the lime green and half above the lime green yeah, yeah. there's actually a variety there's a variation a very very rare variation this is where the anorak comes out uh, because I, I did the study in with all the match worn collectors there's a, just a a, pla- a black and green version that we want we only wore it in Europe so there's no shading aye so if you ever come across one of those jerseys it's a real rarity and obviously the numbers on the back with no name because it was the European games you know but when you look at jerseys it reminds you straight away of a player I'm going to tell you who that jersey reminds me of and it's a bizarre one Vida Reseth Vida Reseth I knew you were going to say that I absolutely knew you were going to say that and I don't know why but Vida's the man that I think of yeah, no, I, well, I said it almost exactly the same time as you said it, so I knew you were going to say Vida Reset. I, I don't know why, I think it's just because maybe he was specific to that. Was he specific to that season? I can't even remember how long Reset was there after. You know, obviously he played in the Barnes season because he scored in the League Cup final against Aberdeen. Um, but yeah, it, for some reason, like a, a dark night or a, a European night, maybe against FC Zurich or something like that, remember we played them. Mm-hmm. I was just checking the European games that we played on. So we played Croatia Zagreb and got beat. Uh, although listed in the Wikipedia, it's, it's, it, they're listed as Dynamo Zagreb and not Croatia Zagreb, which is strange. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, remember that was Krozinetsky and all that. You know, what they were a, they were a good side. Very good. Mark Vaduka, Marco Vaduka. Yeah, we got their we got their striker. Which I mean, thinking back, that was a huge signing for Celtic at that time. That was you know quite a coup to get somebody like him because I mean he surely must have been on a lot of clubs' radars in Europe at that point. You know, it wasn't as if we just plucked him from obscurity. He'd obviously played in the Champions League mm-hmm. uh, and was. Well, I mean, probably was an international at that point, I would imagine, or certainly knocking on the door. Um, his uh, his girlfriend was absolutely Ivana. Ivana, yes. The yeah. the reason that her name is quite fresh in my memory, yeah, she was obviously a very pretty girl. But John Potter, who's now the assistant manager at Hibs. Mm-hmm. He played for Celtic. His first club was Celtic. He signed for Celtic as an S form. We went to the same school. Mm-hmm. And he was head and shoulders above anybody, JP, one of the players that you knew was going to make it as a footballer. Yeah. So his first club was Celtic and he captained Celtic reserves mm-hmm. uh, on the night that uh, Marco Vaduka came back to make his first appearance, which was against St. Johnston reserves. Mm-hmm. And he, he waltzed into the changing room whilst all the other players were already ready with their boots and everything on. He kind of walks in with Havana uh, on his arm. So, you know, he did what he liked, did Marco yeah. Vaduca, you know. But there is a sadder tale to that, obviously. And I don't think, going back to the way the press treated Vim Janssen, Lubo Maravchik and Joe Venglos, the way they treated Vaduca when he was suffering from mental health issues and he went AWOL, the way they treated him was absolutely shocking, wasn't it? Yeah, they kind of hung him out to dry from memory. Uh, you know, it was just kind of a real, real sort of critical uh, take on his situation, which if you were to fast forward that now and make it now, you know, if the press was to, you know, act upon him the way they did then, they would be they would be chastised and all mm-hmm. what, rightly so. Um, I do remember... Uh, a game uh, down at uh, Greenock Morton and my friend Dave McGeechan will remember this as well but uh, we won and it was on Sky Sports it was a Tuesday night uh, and it was absolutely bucketing with rain and it was just a, it was just so bizarre to see these guys you know like, like Mark Viduca and you're thinking God that guy's played Champions League football and he's playing here down at um, down at Greenock Morton in the, in the Scottish Cup and uh Remember the, the the toilets? I'd never been to that ground before, and going into the toilets, which is basically just a, a sort of like makeshift shed with a, a trough on the floor where you where you uh, did your business into. I mean, obviously one of the types of business, not both. Um, and uh, it was just, uh, I was just, I remember thinking such a, such a weird contrast for like these, these superstars, you know. Oh, definitely. I mean, you're bringing back memories now because obviously the jungle toilets were famous or infamous for for many, many years. But the worst experience I've had, we really are going on a tangent here because we're going to be talking about uh, Barcast in a moment, was Central Park in Cowdenbeath. It literally is a wall. It's just a wall. And there might be a gap in the pavement or something where everything goes, but it really is behind the wall. Which uh, is bizarre. It's like being transported back to 1954 or something like that. And yeah. deepest, darkest Fife, JP. But yeah, Joe Vengloss, rest in peace. I mean, obviously the, the, the team wore the black armbands last night. Um, I do also think back to a couple of things that, with with a tinge of regret, Matt Burchill, you've already mentioned, I thought he was the next, you know, the next prodigy coming through at Celtic. I thought he was going to be the goal scorer for years to come. Um, he had loads of potential, that turn of pace, prolific goal scorer, but 
you know, he never really got a, a lengthy run in the side. How can you when, you know, before long, Martin O'Neill comes in and you're up against Larson, Sutton, eventually Hartson. Uh, and of course, he, he turned into a bit of more of a, a journeyman footballer after that. I had high hopes for Matt Burchill. Yeah, I did too. I, I really, really wanted him to do well because, um, you know, he's from like sort of my neck of the woods, Livingston. And, you know, like I said, I met him at school camp. His nickname was Mouse at school camp. Um because it was it was remember I remember obviously I was buying the Celtic View religiously at that point and I remember seeing an article about him and it was just like you know uh, West Lothian youngster Mark Burchill has you know done this and that in the in the youth team or the reserves or whatever and I was like Mark Burchill that's that's Mouse that's the guy that we met at school camp you know I mean I never kept in touch really like, I never saw him again it was just one of these things where you were together for a week as schools and then you go your separate ways and you start high school he went to St Margaret's I went to St Kent's. Um, but I did meet him. He came to our Tommy Burns supper, and as mm. I get the February of '99, and uh, I went up to him and said, "All right," and he remembered me, which was really, really sound. He, he, straight away, I said my name, and he, he, he finished by saying my surname, which obviously is unforgettable when you think of the oxymoron that it actually is. But um, yeah, he remembered me, and I had a wee chat with him at the at the top table, and he was. Uh, you know, he was buzzing to be playing for Celtic and, you know, I said to him, man, to see you score against Rangers, you know, I, there was nobody going more daft in the stadium that night than me because, yes, it was the fifth goal in a, in a route, but it, for me, just seeing him score a goal, like seeing somebody you actually know, like, and knew before he was at Celtic and all the rest of it, like, score a goal in that game with the stadium rocking was... Oh, it was Larson that set him up, I think. It, the thing with Burchill, what I loved about him, he, he had that cool kind of celebration. It was like the Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo celebration. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just pointed out like that, yeah. Cool yeah. as a cucumber. Um, yes, the Scottish Mike alone, uh, but it didn't quite work out for him, unfortunately. But whilst we talk about, you know, did he get a bad injury? Did he lose a yard of pace? Was that what, what done him? I mean, no, I mean, he, I think he did well out of his move to... Uh, I can't remember. It was a team that was at Portsmouth. He went to Portsmouth. He did. He did. Yeah. They got. He, he, I'm pretty sure we got an all right fee for him at that time, maybe a couple of million. And I think he did all right out of the same non fee. And then he was just. I think he's been pretty canny with his money. He went. I think. I think he's got property. Um, you'll have to excuse me. That's uh, <laughs> that's a delivery. So what I'll do whilst you're away getting that JP is I'll have a look at some of the comments coming in from our um, listeners. So welcome all to the show on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, yeah, last night was a, a victory, albeit it was a, a bit of a, you know, when you're looking at the game and you get a couple of uh, goals, one fairly early in the first half, one fairly early in the second half. When it comes to 60 minutes, you know, Celtic seem to run out of ideas a wee bit. Now, Stephen Kenneth, what began as a 10-in-a-row season has descended into laughing at our manager's contradictory and absurd statements, most recently about our goalies and being insulted with the club's loathsome self-preservation. Now, this week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. 
This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Obviously, I have been very um, critical of many aspects of uh, Celtic over the last few months. But I was watching that last night. I'm trying to make sense of all the comments coming out of the club. And a lot of that, obviously, is coming from Neil Lennon. Almost exclusively so. And I'm getting the impression now... You know, there was something very interesting about the comments around Jeremy Frimpong. JP, welcome back. I'm talking about how the the season has descended into where we are now. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely, you know, some people may think the knee-jerk reaction was Lenny out. And we've seen the banners coming out, peaceful protest outside Celtic Park. And it's gone on from there. It's gone from bad to worse with uh, things outside the football, with the Dubai trip and everything else that, that that entailed. But I'm now of the view, JP, that I don't think Celtic are going to make any, any changes. I think, you know, the biggest changes that we're going to see will be to the personnel. And even then, I don't think it will be massive. You know, Jeremy Frimpong, I reckon, will be one of possibly two players that leave. When we bring them, bring in replacements, I think it's going to be fairly underwhelming going by what Neil Lennon said. You know, the, the words he's using is uh, loan signings and bargains. And I think the reason for that, and this is having taken everybody's views on board, listened to everything that Neil Lennon's got to say, and trying to be as balanced as possible, I actually think that Celtic are just going to ride out this, this season. They've written off the league and I think that's happened over the last month or so. They've written that off after Dubai. And now what they're saying is, you know what? It's all about getting through this financially stable because there are going to be other clubs around about the country and all over football, uh, European football and beyond, who won't get through it. Uh, they'll either not get through it at all or it'll you know, be such an, a financial hit that it'll take them years and years to to recover from that so I think that is at the heart of all the decisions that are now being made so even though they might look at Neil Lennon and his coaching staff JP and they might think a change is actually better at the moment they won't do it because of the financial implications of getting rid of a coaching staff bringing in potentially a new coaching staff from another side uh, which would uh, have cost implications we're going to ride it out we'll probably sell a couple of players but once fans are back in the stadium at least we will still be on a good financial footing. That's not my view, but I think that's the way that Celtic now as a club are approaching us. Peter Lowell, we know when it comes to figures, that's his thing. That's what he excels at. And I think that is the view. And The, the, the biggest disappointment for me, if that is the view, JP, why aren't they communicating it to us as a fan base? I, I don't think they can figure out how to. I think, I think 
we've been very critical of the way that they've communicated so far. Uh, and if it's either a statement and then it's through Twitter and, you know, on the website or whatever, and then, you know, you look at what Peter Wall did with the interview with Jerry McCullough, that got pretty much slated as well, by and large. And I think they're probably sitting there trying to figure out what angle. I think your angle of addressing the support um, before a home game, I think that would be great. You know, I think that would be, I certainly would feel like you were involved in something that's unique, not unique to you, but, you know, you're part of something that's not just readily available, you know, on YouTube for other people to mock, uh, etc., you know, if it's streamed live to you, then there, there's no interference. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's just direct to the, to the, I don't want to say customer because we're certainly, you know, it doesn't really feel, well, it actually, yeah, it does feel like more like customers at the moment than supporters because we're not actually able to reciprocate uh, with any support really, you know, be it on the, the, and the, at the games or, even just like buying a pie or, you know, a programme at the game or anything like that, you know, I, I, I doubt anybody is buying. I mean, you can't really get anything to do with the game. I think they, they, they give you a virtual programme or something as part of the, mm-hmm. the thing. I've not taken anything of that up. Um, I just watched the games, uh, obviously watched last night. So, yeah, I think they're probably trying to figure out their best angle. and prob- I would hope they are taking advice from, you know, qualified people as to what might be the best way to go forward because whatever move they make to do that it has to be right it's just like I said last week you know whatever move they make if they're going to make a move in the managerial market that has to be right and you know I wouldn't just you know go out and get someone for the sake of it but you've mentioned a few times about the payoff for the coaching team would it not just be that they would be paid off from now until May because surely Neil Lennon signed a contract, a 12-month rolling contract starting in May, and it was, so it would expire in, in, a, in a May, you know, so you'd only really be paying, what, five, five, four months? It wouldn't be necessarily the full thing. I was reading um, just last week, because again, you know, you hear the, the terminology rolling contract, and uh, apparently what it means is every day you wake up, you've got a year. Uh, however, within that contract, Mm-hmm. is obviously what happens if we pay you off and, and there'll be a, a package available yeah. to the individual. So the figure that, that, that was first mentioned was 1.2 million. That's now been um, kind of scoffed at and apparently the figure is closer to 300 grand. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what's happened is Celtic have realised that no matter what they do, and now, in terms of a change, it's not going to save this season. But the frustration is, surely we should be looking towards next season. And this isn't a, an opportunity for me to to bash Neil Lennon. Of course, you know it's not. It certainly is not. But I do think now the club are thinking, what is the point in changing the manager now? Because if they did have a plan in place, then the new manager you would guess, would have a say in player recruitment. Um, they would be assessing a squad and saying, well, in actual fact, I think I can work with Jeremy Frimpong. I can make him a better player. I can take him to the next level. And then, you know, because the, the, the moves are coming and going and I expect to see a couple more in and out over the next few days, it just, it, you know, for me, it reeks of a club who are not going to make that change. But I just wish that the, the communication had happened. Now, I know that certain parts of the club are communicating with certain groups. So JP Taylor, support liaison uh, officer, has been speaking to the affiliation. 
I wasn't in the meeting because I'm not part of the affiliation, JP. So uh, Kevin's going to give everybody the lowdown on that when he's back in on Monday. You're not missing anything earth-shattering. If there was something that we had to uh, give to the Celtic support, we would. You know, it's just a, it's, an, it's an update from JP. Um, and we are obviously waiting for the, the response, uh, the review, you know, the, the results of this review as well. It's been raised a few times by... The press pack when Neil Lennon does his press conferences, but we're no really further forward in that. And again, I can't take credit for the suggestion that something should happen before a game. I think it was suggested on this uh, podcast via the comment section, but I think it's the best way. You know, because you've got season tickets, uh, fifty-four thousand strong season ticket holders all logging in to watch the game. Yeah, speak to us, you know, and it doesn't have to be, it would be great if it was interactive, of course it would be. I mean, these things can be monitored, you know, not every question pops up on the screen, otherwise it would uh, it would get a bit fruity, fruity in here, that's for sure. Um, and, and again, it could be monitored and they could be filtering in some of the questions and, you know, controlled to a degree. But it would give you a sense that the club are listening and willing to engage. I think that there's other things happening in the background in relation to engaging with podcasts and, and platforms like a Celtic State of Mind mm-hmm. something we've been pushing for for a long time JP and it's not again a, a way of basically being part of a, a message so we've always looked at the Celtic view like yourself I was an avid reader of the view for decades you know probably I probably bought it for about 30 years and um, when, when you look back it's a great document of what was happening at the time but of course it is the view of the club it's always been the view of the club. And that's caused a few problems in the past when certain contributors were saying things that annoyed people at the club or players, etc. And that has been an issue. And, of course, the not the view uh, called it Pravda. They called it Pravda, this propaganda engine. So with regards to that, if you're a, an independent podcast like A Celtic State of Mind and you do eventually get access, which would be great, then it needs to be on an independent basis. So you can't be basically giving a message to then filter out to the fan base. You need to challenge that message. You need to question it. And then, of course, if you're able to, you can use some of the the content on the Axon Bulletin. That would be my take on it. You know, you might get one question to ask Neil Lennon. What, What question is it that you ask him? Well, it needs to be a challenging one. You know, it can't just be a question whereby you're going to get uh, a company message that you then deliver to the support. You need to challenge various things. And I mean, there's there's so much at, you know, at stake this season that you would be challenging probably during every press conference. But that's part and parcel of being the, the manager at a top football club. So yeah. when when you're challenged, and I think Neil Lennon's been challenged quite a bit over the last few weeks. Um, and I've always been saying, you know, why always Neil Lennon? get someone else out there uh, to take take the heat off him a wee bit. You know, John Kennedy, get him out there. Gavin Strachan now has given um, interviews when he was the interim manager. Get him out there. Because Neil Lennon takes it all on his shoulders and I think it started to show over the last couple of weeks, JP. 100%, yeah. I, I'd, I'd never really heard Gavin Strachan speak before until those two games that he was in charge. And, you know, and he, he certainly obviously knows how to deal with the press. It's not as if he was a rabbit in the headlights. I actually thought he spoke okay, you know, and, and I, I wouldn't have any, you know, I wouldn't have any issue with Gavin Strachan coming out and speaking after the game instead of uh, Neil Lennon or John Kennedy for that matter. Because, like you say, the workload should be shared, but then it just it just makes you wonder what the, 
we're all wondering what the relationship is like between them. We've been told that it, you know, you know, uh, John Kennedy has been a rock to Neil Lennon. That might well be true. I don't know. I have no idea what the relationship is. But um, going back to something that, that, that was pointed out about Lee Griffiths sort of having a go, if he did, I think the, the headline, he never actually said what the headline said. Mm. Like, fans have short memories. He didn't actually say that. So he was quoted as saying something completely different to the actual article. But the inference was there in the article that we, you know, should, you know, remember what's happened in nine in a row, quadruple, treble and all that. That's fine. But we've absolutely fallen off a cliff in terms of where we were. You know, if anything, that makes it worse because, you know, we've gone from this, you know, sustained period of unprecedented success to being out of everything and being so far behind. And I know that there's mitigating factors to that, but you can't just expect people to go, oh, well, you know, well, because we've done so well in the past, you know, it's it's, it's it's a completely different, you know, scenario we're facing now, whereby we're not, you know, if you if the Ross County result was a complete anomaly, a one-off game, you know, the cup, the cup game, you'd have been like, okay, th- these things happen. We've been beating another... Uh, seasons and cup competitions, and it just goes to show how amazing that run was. Mm-hmm. It isn't a sta- that wasn't a standalone moment. You know, you, you look at European performances against Sparta Prague, and that was just horrendous. And and then obviously you've got draws coming out your ears in other games. Thankfully, we were able to win last night. I think we would have won a lot more comfortably last night. I don't know what the level of shots were in terms of blocks and saves and everything else but I mean it, it, it could have on another night they could have taken a real hammering from us if things had fallen a bit better but you know I was just happy to see us you know play well to a point and win The big thing with that every season I mean even when we're uh, looking back to Brennan Rogers' first season in charge there were certain elements of that season albeit we were unbeaten that you win a game it's a 2-0, it isn't a great performance, but you just move on because you get the win and that's what's important. I think because of where we are just now, JP, you're looking at every single nuance of Celtic uh, with a critical eye because of what's happened this season and we have fallen off the edge of the cliff. Um, yeah, only two defeats uh, domestically in the league, of course, uh, but loads of draws. And, you know, when you're, again, people are saying I must have been a masochist last night because I'm watching Celtic TV on the, on the laptop and I've got the the Hibs game on the left because, you know, I'm I'm an optimistic type of guy, but I'm a, I'm a realist as well. Yeah, I don't think we're going to win the league this season. Of course, I don't. But I keep my eye on it because that's what I'm invested in here. This is yeah. you know I'm watching a Celtic game. I don't expect us to drop anything. Will Rangers drop anything at Easter Road? It's one venue you would expect them to get a game at. Obviously, they did get a game. It was one nothing. There's a few flash points that are frustrating as hell when you look back on them and you see former referees looking back at them in the morning but it's been one of those seasons and the margins for me even if you were getting the run of the green in terms of refereeing decisions we've we've simply not been good enough JP this season we as a club if you're just going to look inwardly we've not been good enough our performances haven't been good enough Uh, but let's have a look at the Hamilton game because I agree with you you know possession wise we were under no threat there was a couple of moments that you know really sum up our defence this this season whereby a ball over the top really wrong foots Greg Taylor and they get a chance or a cross wrong foots beat on and Duffy and they have a fantastic chance and Moyo probably should have scored thankfully he didn't but the big talking point 
last night was the team selection, as it as it often is, uh, with the fact that Barkas is out, and that's why we've ran with the with the headline Barkas massive investment in the goalie coming in. We all wanted Fraser Forster. I think universally we all wanted the big man back, the great uh, wall, Legrand Morala. Is that right? Is that what they called him in Barcelona? Uh, you know, and we kind of thought, and what, what difference would he have made this season? Probably a big difference, let's be honest. Um, but it wouldn't have legislated for all the other mitigating circumstances that we've had to deal with. But Barkas has been a massive disappointment. But we've been told he's the number one, and that's why he come back in after his injury for Conor Hazard. Conor Hazard's now been called the number three uh, during a, an interview with, with Neil Lennon. And we go into this game, I fully expected Barkas to, to be in goals. Bain is now the number one. So when you're looking at that situation, and I've got some comments coming through saying, well, if Barkas is no longer the number one, then get him out on loan. Well, if he's not the number one and he's not adapted to Scotland, I mean, the, the way that Neil Lennon described it was he hasn't been up to speed with the game. It doesn't look as though he's adapted at all, not only to the game, but to you know the move from from Greece over to Scotland. It's not worked out. Sometimes it happens in football. I'm pretty sure he could go back to Greece and become an accomplished goalkeeper again and be the international number one. And it was just a blip in his career. It simply hasn't worked out. What do you do in this situation? Do you cut your losses, JP? Do you to see can you can you move him back to to Greece? Can I mean what kind of fee would we be looking for? Realistically, we've paid anything from four and a half to five million for them. Do we do we take half of that? I mean, it's a big hit. I think it depends on the player, really. I mean, it, I mean, as we saw, Frimpong wanted to go and he's gone. You know, it wasn't. A, yeah, okay, the money had to be right. And by the way, on that, I think the money, if that is the fee, eleven and a half million to get that for Frimpong in his position in his current uh, form. I would take that every single day of the week because I just think there's been a great before I go on to talk about Barkas briefly on Frimpong there's been a glaring uh, thing missing and if if, if Frimpong is worth 11.5 million what price is Christopher Ayer worth? Mm -hmm. A guy that can play centre half right back and you know arguably probably midfield as well Um, so uh, plus I think Frimpong's height in that position is always going to hinder him I I don't know how he It'll be interesting to see how Bayer Leverkusen utilise him going forward because I don't think he's a right back. We've all said that, you know, he's not a right back. So what is he? Is he a right wing back? But then if he's a right wing back, he gets caught out, you know. So it'll be interesting anyway. But back to Barkas, I think it would be depend on the player, depend if the player's happy. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. How is he settled in Glasgow, if at all? Um, you know, living on your own in this climate at this time of the year in a lockdown. I know it's been mentioned before, and it's the same, it's the same for everybody, but then it's not the same for everybody because everybody's got different circumstances and people have got things going on that, you know, you might not even know about, you know, like... Close, close friends might have things going on that they've not divulged and mm. really difficult things, you know. So um, it depends on him whether or not he feels like he can do the job at Celtic. Whether it's because ultimately you ask the guy the question and say, "Look, do you are you up for this challenge? Um, do you think you can do it going forward?" 
Um, Stevie Woods will have a massive part to play in that as well. I'm very sure Stevie Woods was was not not involved in that decision last night because it's not as if Lennon's like some sort of you know or he makes all the decisions and you know is you know not taking into consideration what his coaching staff are saying. I would be fully sure that he would be consulting with Stevie Woods over this, and uh, they obviously felt that Bain was the right guy to play last night. Obviously, you didn't have all to do. Uh, I saw a comment from a guy called Robert J nine zero four two seven two eight two saying PJ thought both centre backs were terrible last night and not for the first time. Well, I agree on the not for the first time, Patter. But I actually watched Shane Duffy and thought you look all right. You know, you look like you can actually play a bit. And I know arguably he wasn't playing against the best side and all the rest of it, but. He needs a couple of performances like that. If he's going to be playing between now and the end of the season, he needs mm-hmm. a couple of performances against so-called lower uh, opposition to just get his confidence back up. Because you look at the camera, every time the camera goes to him after something's happened, he looks you know, so annoyed with himself and just kind of, woe is me and all the rest of it. Um, and I think as well, you know, Barkas is probably sitting there going... I've not played in front of a steady defence this season, you know. I've not I've not sorry, played behind a steady defence this season. Look at some of the mistakes they've been making. So they've probably not helped him in any way. Whereas Scott Bain, I think Scott Bain's just grateful to be at Celtic. I don't think mm. Scott Bain uh, is is of any uh, sort of has any sort of grand thinking about his stature. I would certainly hope not because he's I don't think he's as good enough he's good a keeper as, as all that. I think he's a good keeper, I don't think he's a great keeper. Um, and so I think he, you know, he's just come in, and because he's obviously, you know, he's he's based here, you know, he's probably got more of a support network around him. But they've decided decided to trust him with the jersey for now. I, I find it concerning that he said uh, that Neil Lennon said that. What did he say? He's not. He's what he's quote about Barkas was he's not uh, showing the stance. I can't remember what he said. You'll need to remind me if you know it, but his quote last night about him was, was, to me, was quite concerning, whatever Mm. it was. See the thing, JP, and again, that's my camera dropped out twice on this broadcast. I think there's uh, the Gremlins are back. The, the thing with Celtic, um, you could take it through the nine. You could take it even longer than that. There are certain areas of the park that we've not really had to worry about before, um, before or for some time. And when you think of the goalkeeper situation that Celtic have been in for quite some time, a considerable length of time, we have been well served. And this is a big thing. It's not a situation that we are used to. Um, you know this goalkeeper crisis because if you if you go back with had Fraser Foster, Craig Gordon, and and you know it goes on and on. We've had a you know we've had a whole list of excellent goalkeepers where that hasn't been an issue, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden it is. But allied to that, the other issue is we've not had that central defensive partnership that could offer that stability to a new goalie coming in, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that you know at the beginning of the season, who were your two centre halves? Well, it was Iron Julian. Now, I would love to have Iron Julian at centre-half at this moment in time, but there's so many different reasons why we don't. The big one being Julian's had a couple of really bad injuries this season. He's out for three or four months. He could be out until the end of the season. Um, and because of that, and because of what's happened with Frimpong and El Hamid, which, you know, two other issues, Ayer, who is now arguably our best centre-half, is now playing it right back. So everything that you kind of thought was solid has been really 
crumbling this season. So the goalie, that's not an issue. You've got Forster or Gordon go further back. You've got Boric. You've got a whole list of really good goalkeepers. All of a sudden, it's a big issue. Your centre halves, you know, you've got a, a centre half partnership if you want to go further back and Denier and Van Dyke, and you've got you've got Ayer and and Julian. You think right, not as good as Van Dyke and and uh, uh, Denier, but a solid enough partnership that hasn't been able to flourish. So. I've described it previously as a perfect storm and it has been. Um, a lot of the mitigating circumstances are out with their control. I think what we've done wrong is we have actually created a situation where we've been the architects of a lot of the, the issues ourselves, JP. And that's a frustration, isn't it? I mean, who would be playing left back after Kieran Tierney goes, well, you know, we've brought in Ball and Golly, we've brought in uh, Greg Taylor, we've brought in Lick Salt. So left back becomes a problem, whereas before we had... Is a Geary followed by Tierney, so it was never an issue at left back. So we've we've kind of got used to having areas of the park that we're confident in. This season we've not been confident in any of these areas. Right back, right. So who's a right back? You know, so Frimpong has been utilised there. Uh, by Neil Lennon who's obviously a big fan Elhamid an international player who for any number of reasons hasn't performed or hasn't played mm -hmm. and then behind that obviously you've got Ayer um, covering there behind that you've got Ralston who's played one game for Celtic in 18 months so the whole defence the five areas of the defence have been under scrutiny yeah. and, and normally that isn't a concern for us it's yeah. huge it's really it's a massive issue just question marks next to positions, whereas previously there was never question marks. You know, it would, there would always be a consistency there. Where, you know, you, you had somebody that was just there, they played 30 games a season, and they were solid, and they gave you performances. Obviously, with Kieran, they gave you excellent performances rather than just okay performances. But I would settle for just okay, okay performances consistently from one player in those positions rather than this sort of constant chopping and changing. But we've had to constantly chop and change for so many different reasons, whether it's injury, whether it's self-isolation, whether it's, you know, suspension. Um, you know, people completely forgot about Scott Brown last night. Uh, wasn't in the squad at all because of the red card. Um, and touching on Beaton at centre-half again, last night he gave away a free kick towards the end. Now, Fortunately, we were two goals to the good, and then you know a goal for Hamilton at that point. We certainly would have put the wind up as it was. Would have put the wind up me if they'd scored that late on because you're just thinking, oh no, here we go again. But he shoved that boy over on the the right hand side, and it was a foul all week. And he's moaning, complaining, going back into his position that it wasn't a foul, but it was a foul. He, he, he fouled the guy. And he gave away a free kick, which allowed them to put a ball into the box late on in the game. Exactly the same thing as Laxalt did um, in the Hibs game. Exactly mm -hmm. the same thing as may, many other players have done uh, this season. But, you know, he just needs to... I, I, I mean, he's going to obviously be playing. We've not got anybody else at the moment, but it's just so frustrating to watch somebody. And, and you can say what you want about him not being a centre-half. He is a centre-half. He's been playing there for three or four years now. Like, any time he's played for us recently... He's played centre half. I think he's played centre half for Israel as well. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, yeah, that that was that was. It's a big concern because I guess what I'm getting at. You thought, who's your right back? Well, your right back's Mikel Lustig for years. You know, a very successful signing by Neil Lennon, as it happens. But he was a stalwart of the Celtic side. Has he been? Has he been replaced properly, uh, sufficiently? No, he hasn't, because we've struggled in that position. We've played El Hamid in and out, 
bad injuries, maybe some other personal issues that were reported and then denied by his agent. Uh, Frimpong's come in, like you say, never a right back. But he's been he's been deployed there. We're now playing with someone else who's not a right back being deployed there. So since Lustig's gone out, has a recruitment been good enough? Arguably no. Since Tierney, the Izagiri Tierney run since that ended, has he been sufficiently replaced? No. Is it a recruitment issue? Perhaps. Then you look at the centre halves. Ayer and, and Julien, yeah, we've been unlucky with Julien's injury. But has our recruitment been good enough when you're playing Shane Duffy, who it's not worked out for, but you're playing someone else out of position in Beaton Again, so we're playing guys out of position. Does that solely come down to the bad recruitment over two or three transfer windows, JP? It certainly does, yeah. I mean, you go back further in the right-back position and look at the likes of uh, Moritz Bauer, Jeremy Tolyan, neither of whom... <laughs> would fill anybody with, with confidence. I don't even know where Tolian is now. Somebody will probably put in the comments that he's, you know, starring week in, week out for some top on the continent and fair enough if he is, but uh, it didn't look like he could do that for us. And he cost us that game in Valencia. I'll never, never not believe that. Like when he got red carded in that game when he got he got uh, done by the boy, uh I, we were playing well that night. I, 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 I wouldn't be as go as far as to say we would have got through because we had a mountain to climb. But you know, he gave us about ten mountains to climb when he got red carded. Um, mm-hmm. So I always have a bit of a bit of a needle for for Jeremy Tolian. But uh, I, I think the, the, the recruitment has been mental for a, for a good number of years, and everybody knows it. But the thing is, a friend of mine said about Frimpong leaving. Uh, I said. You know, um, I was once described as not knowing if I was going for a shower or a shave when I was playing a game at uh, East End Park. Me and my mates hired East End Park and played a 11 a side game. And a guy said to me, and it stuck in my head, and I was like, I'm not losing this game because he said that and we won. But uh, he said, I doesn't care if he's going for a shower or a shave. And I, I always kind of thought that about Frimpong. Whenever he gets anywhere near the, 80, the edge of the 18 yard box, Yes, he has some skill. Yes, he has pace, but he genuinely didn't know what he was doing at that point. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. panic stations. Where do I go with this? Do I go to the byline? Do I try and cut it back? Do I chip it? Do I look for a player? A player? Um, so you know, thinking about um, going off on a tangent here about Frimpong. What was it? What were, what were we talking about there? Well, you started off by going on about um, Jeremy, another Jeremy, Toyan. And whilst yeah. you were talking about Toyan, JP, I checked him out. Uh, he's still with Borussia Dortmund, but he's on loan and he's playing he's, he's playing his trade in Serie A at the moment. So he's probably a decent enough player. But again, it's interesting that you said that because we tried Toyan, we tried Boyer, and they came in on loan. We've never replaced. Uh, and by the way I think Lustig had come to the end of his time at Celtic but we, we haven't sufficiently replaced him we've not sufficiently replaced Tierney either yeah I remember what I was going to say I, I, you know, I was texting a friend and uh, you know she said um, she said oh well I, I, you know, I wouldn't want Lennon to, to get the to get the money to spend on a replacement and I went Neil Lennon doesn't sign the players though and then she went well yeah good point but you know uh so basically, you know, if Lennon isn't signing the players, which it doesn't seem like he is, because if it's the same system that's in place as what it was when Rogers was there with the whole uh, shred coming in and I've got about a million wingers and all that, you know, that system hasn't changed between mm-hmm. them and now. Surely, I, I don't think it has. So you've got to you've got to wonder how much influence uh, Neil Lennon even has in the signings, and that I I I, I can't stand the fact that that is the situation at our club that. 
you know, the manager doesn't sign the players and potentially Peter Law is signing the players or a mixture of Peter Law and Nicky Hammond mm. who seems to have his cards marked, you know, from the reports that you read um, going forward because, you know, this whole idea of like a transfer committee and then, then being presented a, a number of players, like, surely, like, there's some, there, that means there's just no power in the manager. There's just no. Power. He's just he's just a guy that takes takes coaching and gets given players and has to mm-hmm. work. Yeah, I mean, th- this is something that's taking me a while to get my head around as well, JP. Maybe I, I'm old-fashioned, I'm out of touch a wee bit, but I always believed that the manager was that man um, within reason. I mean, we've, we've spoken about Maravchik. It was undeniably a Joe Venglo signing that Maravchik uh, came into the club. Uh, you think about Brennan Rogers. there's some people that I don't think anyone would deny Rogers wanted and got. Toure, for example, Sinclair, they, they were Brendan Rogers signings. But then when you're presented with a, a German into nationalist who plays 60 minutes in a year there's no way that Brennan Rodgers wanted Marvin Comper at the club I mean listen I'm surmising there but I'd love someone to to counter argument that one you've got a one million pound defender and you won't play him because he's not your man Um, and I think the same's happened with with, you know Neil Lennon it was quite clear that he wanted Foster Um, I mean he made that clear he's worked with Foster many many times in the past at Celtic we didn't get him how many other players and this isn't me now standing up for Neil Lennon and saying it's not his fault I just think the recruitment is a massive factor in this and all it takes is three let's say bad or substandard windows JP and then your closest challengers having three fairly decent windows and it can totally flip on its head and you know I'm going back to Tierney I'm going back to Lustig but I think it has taken a long time to unravel and then with all the mitigating circumstances we've not been able to deal with it we've not been able to handle everything happening at once we're now in a situation where we're looking at Duffy we're kind of resigned to the fact he's going to be here till the end of the season he's a Celtic player and I will get back behind him of course I will but I'll also critique him if, if he's not playing well I'm looking at that centre half area I'd much rather I was in there as good as he is up that right wing I'd much rather he was at centre half um, him and Duffy uh, you know failing that can look salt play in the centre half area I know El Hamid can but he never does you know Lustig could play there he played there for Sweden he, he really, rarely played there for Celtic Um and I think when Lustig was getting older, he probably should have played more games at centre-half. But these are the things that we're now faced with. We're talking all about the, the back five, including the goalie. Uh, Barkas, it doesn't look as though there's a way back for him. Um, but then again, will we be able to ship him out permanently? Probably not. You know, it's one of these things that there might be interest in a loan deal. Does that work for Celtic? Well, probably 50% of his wages will be paid by the new club. Then, do you think, do you run with Bain and, and Hazard? Just like we're looking at the right-back situation, do we run with Ayer, Elhamid and, and Ralston? Um, they've been non-committant, really, in terms of the, the transfer talk, JP. Where do you think... I mean, for me, we need a right back, we need a centre half, potentially a goalkeeper. Do you think it really is in those areas? Is there anything else that you think you look at and you think we need to strengthen elsewhere? Well, I think if he's going to persist with the formation that he's been playing, we 100% need uh, a right back and a centre half. I I think those two two are are, are completely at the top of the list. Whether or not the the Ben Ben Davies, is it, from Preston, whether or not Mm. that's there's a lot of talk about that, you know, happening in the summer, but maybe it could happen 
you know, prior to the summer, I would hope so, because we just need we need strength there. I, I really don't want to see um, near beat on point centre half. It's just simple as that. I just don't think, especially alongside Duffy, because, you know, <laughs> Duffy's had his own limitations and has struggled, obviously. Um, so to, for Duffy to, to play anywhere near what we know he should be capable of, having someone competent alongside them is surely a prerequisite. So, uh, yeah, I would say, uh, you know, a right-back who can play right-back, you know. Um, I would love to know about all these signings and, and the, the detail of them all and, you know, whose idea they were and who's 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 suggested them as, as, as a player and everything else. But, you know, when you said you weren't defending Neil Lennon, Neil Lennon put himself in this position by accepting the state of the club as it was when he joined. He didn't get to bring his own coaching team. He was like, clearly, maybe he wanted them. He was fine to proceed without that happening. And he's obviously been fine to proceed and go back into the the job with the recruitment, the way that it's set up. Mm-hmm. It, it, he must be sitting there really frustrated because he's going, these aren't my players. Like they, I, I didn't really want to go and get this guy, Barkas. You know, he's been presented to me as an option, probably maybe the only option. And I've, and you know, and I've you know maybe had a sort of say in it, but ultimately it's kind of like, no, this is happening. We think this is a good deal, and you know, so so should you. Yeah, is that? I mean, the more we speak about it, JP, the more it kind of paints a, a kind of bleak picture. Because is that one of the biggest issues? You look at Neil Lennon, Mark One as a manager, and you look at the guys he was bringing in: Anthony Stokes, Joe Ledley, Gary Hooper, uh, and you think, well, for me, and again, I, I don't know for sure, but they're they're Neil Lennon signings, aren't they? I, I know for a fact Gary Hooper was a Neil Lennon signing. Absolutely. You know, and now, in order to deal with a situation where there's a, a whole committee, there's a recruitment process where Nicky Hammond is the head of that recruitment process and everything has to be vetted by Peter Lowell because he signs the checks and then you've got all your scouting network and the players are presented to Neil Lennon. And although he might fancy Ivan Tony over um, Alben Ayeti, you know, there's no guarantee he'll get that. A coach, one of these progressive, forward-thinking coaches that we keep hearing about, probably can deal with that because the the the, the devil's in the detail. They're a coach, so they look at a player and they can, they can get a tune out of him. Neil Lennon might not be there. He might not be that man. He might be the guy that that needs his own men to be playing for him because he's identified him and he knows that in order to to um, you know get some goals and create some that front. Anthony Stokes is my man, the the penalty box striker, Gary Hooper, and he and he can trust them because he's identified them. Is that a bigger part of this issue? This recruitment problem is obviously not suited to the way that Neil Lennon works. Yeah, I think so. I, I massively think so. It's even just after these few minutes of conversation that I, I, I'm almost certain because you do think back to your Ledleys, your Hoopers, your Stokes. You know, fair enough. They were all a bit of Jack the Lad, and that's a reflection of the manager a little bit, isn't it? Because you know he's definitely had a bit of that about him in his time as a player, and obviously as a manager as well. And so you know when you're getting guys coming in that you aren't a hundred percent behind, but then if you if you look at the quote from uh, at the time we signed Albion Ayeti, who has fast becoming you know uh, an anomaly, uh, you know what. What, what is going on with Albion Ayeti? No one really knows, but it was attributed that Neil Lennon persuaded him to come to Celtic and it was like almost like Neil Lennon went out of his way to make sure that 
uh, a Yeti came to Celtic and he needed convincing and Neil Lennon convinced him. So if we're to believe that, then he is a Neil Lennon signing. But mm-hmm. not acting like it's a Neil Lennon signing right now. Neil Lennon isn't acting like it's a guy that he's hung his hat on because he's not getting real sort of chances or game time or anything. Um, whether that's to do with the player himself and how he's how he is in Glasgow, how he's developed as a player since he's been here, or developed as a person maybe as he's been here, you know, because maybe his character has changed in this environment, you don't know. Um, there was an interesting quote attributed to, is it Barry Fry? Is he the Peterborough chairman? Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is accurate. I saw it in uh, some article, but it was a quote from him saying, the lad wanted to go to Celtic, but Celtic effed about, and therefore they didn't go. And then you look at his stats, he scored like 16 goals in 23 games in the championship, and however many assists, and you're just like, well, how many has a Yeti scored? How many games has a Yeti played? It's frustrating to hear that because again, there's there's real uh, similarities to the John McGinn deal, the the now infamous John McGinn deal. Um, I'm going to go to this uh, message coming through from Vinnie Jack on Twitter. Janssen equals Larson, absolutely, because I mean he had the inside track on Larson's deal at Feyenoord, having worked with him previously. He knew there was a get out clause, which is the only reason we got Larson for 650 grand. The best 650 grand was spent. Um, but th- this is the thing, even back in the, the days of Tommy Burns, we all know that Tommy utilised uh, a scouting network. Davy Hay was involved in that, um, whereby they were identifying players. Sometimes they were identifying them, sometimes it were presented to them. And I remember the story around Pierre Van Hoydonk. Now, he was at NEC Breda at the time. Prolific goal scorer, unfit, JP. His conditioning wasn't right at that time, and I think Van Hoydonk has admitted that since then, because he became a, a fine specimen, a proper athlete by the time he was at Feyenoord, scoring three kicks against Rangers and taking his top off. When he signed for Celtic, I don't think he had that same conditioning. But basically, his agent was selling, uh, sending videotapes. You've shown us an old season ticket. Uh, back in the day, the videotape would be sent out to clubs, and a videotape was sent out to every um, Scottish and English top flight club showing the showreel of Pierre Van Hoydonk uh, and the reason I know that is I remember Kevin Keegan talking about it when he was a manager in Newcastle and he'd been given this tape of Van Hoydonk you know do you fancy this player so Celtic obviously took a punt on him and I think we, we signed up for about 1.2 million or something like that got our money back he obviously caused problems in the end but what a player so Tommy Burns didn't identify Van Hoydonk. You know, he was given, it was presented to him. So I think that's always been there. Similarly, if you're going to use Vim Janssen as an example, two of the players that came in under Janssen were Paul Lambert and Craig Billy. They were identified by Tommy Burns. You know, the files on those two players were at Celtic Park through Tommy Burns stroke Davy Hay, but the deals were eventually done by the time Janssen come in. So we take that on board that that's going to happen, but it seems to have gone real, really full circle now, whereby I'm still, I'm now looking at the situation we had with Julien and Bolin Golly being on the bench against Cluj, whereby we're playing Callum McGregor at left back. You know, £10 million sitting on the bench. Is that because they weren't Lenny's signings and then you look at Turnbull and Sorrow why did it take until October November before they made an appearance is that because they weren't Lenny signings again I'm speculating because we are in a situation now where obviously it hasn't worked out this season on so many levels but a massive part of that has been recruitment yeah. so 
you know, when we're tearing it up or restructuring the club, I think recruitment is going to be key, a key element of that JP in the summer. So big, yeah. And just thinking back to, like you mentioned, Davy Hay there. Obviously, Davy Hay was, it was a scout, wasn't he, in the, mm-hmm. in the 90s? And, you know, I'm sure Davy Hay and Tommy Burns had a, a close relationship given their connected, uh, you know, affiliation with Celtic. And it's just, I just don't think that Neil Lennon has that connect. Well, we, I'm, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have that connection with Nicky Hammond, you know. And for, for me, it should be about this, the guy who's in charge of the football and operations. If that is Nicky Hammond, if that is his role, he should have meetings with Neil Lennon, just the two of them, maybe John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan as well. But I would argue that it should just be between Nicky Hammond and Neil Lennon and they should make the decisions and then present the players that they want to the board rather than it being the other way around. Um, but that's a huge restructure and a huge... I just, I, I, for, I've heard too many things about Peter Law wanting to have too much involvement in these transfers and, that, and that's concerning because that really isn't his position to do that. He should be concentrating on the things that he's good at. And I know that you could say, oh, well, we've had Dembele, we've had, you know... Um, Sinclair or whatever other signing you want to mention but there's been far too many bad ones you know mm. you can get away with having a couple of good ones every now and then but there's been far too many bad ones then go back to that January list that was read out was it uh, Stevie Stevie Mullen read out that list of January signings over the last few years and it was just like a it was just like a sort of you know who's who of Celtic you know misfits really it wasn't I know I know this is the frustration as well. We, we look upon the records of we brought in Van Dyke for two and a half, we sold him for twelve and a half. Fraser Foster, Victor Wanyama, um, and others. I mean, even uh, you know when you're looking at um, uh, what's his name, the North Korean player that we had. So that's the one. Yeah, completely lost him there. Um, we've done a great profit. We we made a great profit on him, uh, and then it's continued. I mean, we made a, a slight profit on Gary Hooper, uh, and we use all these as examples, shining examples. Musa Dembele being another example, Jeremy Frimpong. But unfortunately, when you dig into the the actual transfer dealings we've had, they're almost undone. Uh, by Marvin Comper, by you know Sved coming in, uh, Kuasi, Gamboa, and it goes on and on. Because there's a lot worse, uh, you know. Bio um, it looks to me as though Klamala, Sung Young. How could I forget Sung Young? I thought it was a fantastic player. Uh, Klamala looks as though he's going to be part of that uh, tribe of players as well. And it's millions and millions plus all the wages as well, JP. So all the good bits that we've done, you know, there's a lot of there's a whole plethora of players that have kind of undone it. Which is, by the way, it's more or less ignored whilst you're winning league after league in quadruple trebles. And and we're as guilty as that as anybody, JP. You know, we wouldn't be sitting here having that discussion if we were sitting top of the league, I guess. But I think now that it's all come to a head, this is going to be a massive part of the restructure because it has to be. Um, because also you're going to have the post-COVID, post-Brexit effect, whereby we're going to have to be a lot cuter with the players coming in. Another big part of that, I guess, will be the youth situation, you know, whereby we are developing youth players, um, and I don't uh, include Frimpong in that, although we did develop them, who, you know, are leaving the club before they've kicked a ball for us. That's a big concern. Liam Morrison, Barry Hepburn, both going to Bayern Munich, uh, Conor McBride to Blackburn, and Josh Adam to Manchester City. Then, a couple of the guys who have made fleeting appearances, Dembele uh, and Ocoflex, also perhaps leaving in the summer. So then you think to yourself, can we offer them the platform that we, we have previously to develop? 
Uh, with regards to the, the, the young players like Dembele and Ocoflex, um, I uh, Brendan Rogers made a comment about players, um, which you know, as much as people you know don't have a lot of time from Brendan Rogers anymore, myself included, for the way that he left us, but he obviously you know did a lot of good things when he was here and led us to unprecedented success. Um, but he said he mentioned something about the young players, and he said. I wouldn't say you're a Celtic player until you're playing in the first team. He said, uh, "I don't know if he was trying to, you know, leave him leave a Jock Steen style quote. You know, um, I mean, he's nowhere near that man as far as I'm concerned. But um, he was trying to leave a Jock Steen style quote and saying you're not a Celtic player until you're playing in the first team. Other than uh, until then, you're just an employee or something like that, or you're a, you're a, you know, you know, you work for Celtic, you work for the club." Because um, he said, I see all these young players, you know, cutting about with their uh, Louis Vuitton wash bags, and you know they think they've made it before they've actually done anything. And you mentioned it on the show the other day, you know, like Dembele probably thinks he's made it as a footballer because he's been in a Nike advert and because he's had a lot of good press. Mm-hmm. Not done anything yet, and yeah, you could say, oh, he's not had the chance. Why has he not had the chance? Because I don't think he's got the right attitude and. We've heard murmurings, of, uh, you know, that would point in that direction. So, if he decides to leave, or and his agent and his family decide to move him on to another team, I'd be very interested to see how he gets on in that other team or in that other club. Because, you know, I don't think if he's wanting to progress his career, I don't think they'll stand for that sort of attitude from a player. And it's all about attitude. You only need to look at the players that have left Celtic in the past that have gone on to do absolutely nothing. Players that have been lauded. Uh, you know, as as young prospects that have gone on to do nothing in the game, and you would never wish that to happen on somebody. But it's you know, it's about the player's attitude, and that's why players are successful or not successful at Celtic. Frimpong has been successful because of his attitude mm-hmm. uh, in training, and they applied himself, and he got a chance. Scott Brown said to Neil Wenning, "This guy's good enough to play in our in our team." And he got in, and look at look at look how it's happened. He's got a move. It's because he came in and. You know, fair enough. We all criticised him for his final ball, but he did have quite a lot of good performances for Celtic in his sort of weird right wing back midfield role, um, and uh, and then he's got his move. But the, the others haven't yet. They haven't come in and you know uh, got seven, eight, nines out of tens over a over a course of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I, I, I'm not going to. You know, uh, lose sleep over the fact that Celtic might lose players that haven't got the right attitude. It's when the, it's when you start losing players, maybe like Liam Morrison. That's you know, uh, my friend Michael knows uh, Maury's dad from Saltcoats, and mm-hmm. you know they're good people and good stock, and that's the type of player you don't want to be losing because if he comes back to bite us as a international centre half in a few years to come, then that's when you're concerned, you know. Oh, definitely. I've been reminded by Kevin B on YouTube, Cameron Harper going back to America as well. Yep, I forgot to mention Cameron Harper. Now, w- with that in mind, the Jeremy Finpong uh, deal has been done. He's he's obviously been speaking to uh, the social media team over in Germany. Uh, my memory, my my big memory of Frimpong uh, is in the the League Cup, the League Cup final where Chris uh, Christopher Julien scored the winning goal. Uh, Fraser Foster will be remembered for uh, playing a fairly big part in winning that cup. JP, but I always remember Frimpong being the outball all day long. He was the outball, even though he got sent off uh, yeah. that day. I just thought 
you know, we had our hands on something a bit special with, with Frimpong around about that time. Mm-hmm. Leading up to that game, he had us on the edge of our seats time and time again. I wish the guy all the best. I hope that these little elements, and, and it's to the casual observer like you and I, the elements of his game that can improve will be honed and coached. And if so, I think, you know, we'll be looking at uh, Frimpong in years to come and think, wow, he was at Celtic, you know. But it all comes down to development. But I do take your point, and I think the, the classic example, of course, is Islam Farouz. I'd love to speak to Islam Farouz. We had uh, Islam's first agent um, on a Celtic state of mind. Before we went uh, broadcasting live, it was John Colquhoun. Um, and I had a really good discussion with John uh, around Islam Farouz. I think everything changed when he got a new agent. His attitude changed, JP. It was all about um, the money and the profile and the status. Uh, no longer in the game. No longer in the game. Doesn't even play. So... That really is a warning, uh, a warning sign for any young player coming through that uh, you could get carried away with the Instagram and the Louis Vuitton toilet bag and all that stuff and the earphones. Uh, make sure you're playing football when you're actually making a difference because the flip side of that is there's Frimpong came in as, as a 300 grand development player from Man City at the same time as uh, Leo Connor who around about that time was probably ahead of him in terms of his development mm-hmm. and you see what Frimpong's done uh, compared to O'Connor so fair play to him good luck to Frimpong uh, and JP it's been an absolute pleasure again uh, a wee walk down memory lane going back to the, the time of Joseph Vengloss as well and yeah, um, we'll be <laughs> oh, you know, uh, and again, we'll talk about it next week. Who knows what will happen in a week of Celtic, by which time the transfer window will have uh, closed shut. Um, will we have anybody else in you? Will anyone else leave? We'll talk about it next week. Uh, so thanks once again, JP Mason, for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. What's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Network.